You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Paolo Raji, professor of medicine, cardiology, and radiology at Emory University. Dr. Raji's current research interests are surrogate markers of atherosclerosis, preventive cardiology, follow-up of progression of atherosclerosis by non-invasive imaging, and cardiovascular disease in patients affected by end-stage renal disease. Dr. Raji, welcome to the show. Thank you. It seems to me you don't have enough interests. You don't have enough degrees. Truly, huh? <laughs> I don't do enough things. <laughs> I'd like to talk today about what they call surrogate markers. And I'm bothered by the word surrogate marker because if you're looking at carotid arteries and you see disease, you have atherosclerosis, correct? It is absolutely correct. So why call it a surrogate? Why don't we just call it a disease? I think you would have to talk to the naysayers about that. Um, <laughs> There's been a long debate about whether, for example, coronary calcium, which is another surrogate marker, should right. be considered a marker, or the effective evidence of the fact that there's disease. I think that the reason that they were called surrogate is that initially there was a large amount of disbelief in whether this new evidence would be leading to events. In other words, the fact that somebody has an increased IMT sickness, does it really mean that it predisposes the individual to develop a heart attack or a stroke. And initially, when we came up with all these new markers, I think that everybody was taking its time to evaluate them. I think it may have threatened a lot of cardiologists because the angiogram was it. I believe so. And they wanted to hold on to their moneymaker and wanted everybody to have an angiogram. And that was the gold standard. And I personally think a normal angiogram is sometimes meaningless. How about you? Very often, uh, you do have a normal inside of the vessel or what appears to be normal. In other words, you inject a contrast and the vessel seems to be open and you send the patient home. Indeed, the patient may have a large amount of atherosclerosis that has accumulated in the vessel wall that does not show up with an angiogram. And you are absolutely right that a normal angiogram doesn't necessarily mean no atherosclerosis. Actually, in many cases, it may hide a large amount of atherosclerosis. It's hard to convince a patient of that. They have a false sense of security that, oh, I had a normal angiogram. Doctor said, my arteries are clean. And even in the reports, they say no evidence of significant disease, which is also quite vague. Yes, absolutely. I teach my fellows all the time, significant can and should be used only in statistics. That's a statistical term. Significant, as far as clinical significance, should really be reconsidered as a terminology. It should be maybe called critical, mm -hmm. uh, obstructed, but not no significant disease. They should say no obstructive disease. Sometimes they'll say no hemodynamically significant disease, which is also equally as confusing. Absolutely. Let's talk about what IMT means. What's a normal IMT? What's an abnormal IMT? When do you label someone with atherosclerosis just based on the IMT? So first of all, for the benefit of the listener, IMT stands for intimal media thickness. The carotid wall, which is the carotid actually is this large artery that runs into our neck and one per each side of the neck. And it's a large vessel that comes directly from the aorta. It has a certain thickness to the wall. And the ultrasound is not accurate enough to define the difference between the so-called intima, which is the inner layer of the vessel, 
the media, the term itself means in between, and the adventitia. So the vessel wall is made of these three layers. Because ultrasound is not accurate enough, it just gives you an idea of the thickness of the whole wall. So atherosclerosis usually accumulates in what we call the intimal layer. So what was described uh, about 20 plus years ago is that the thickness of the carotid wall actually is a very accurate estimate of how much atherosclerosis has accumulated in the arterial beds of this particular patient under study. You asked an appropriate question, what is a normal IMT? The normal IMT varies according to age and to sex. Women tend to have a thinner wall than men do, and older people tend to have a thicker wall than younger people do. As a rule of thumb, that is a very generic rule of thumb, a thickness of less than one millimeter would be an indication of good health, and greater than one millimeter could be considered or should be considered an abnormal thickness. I've heard doctors say half a millimeter is normal, and then anything beyond that is showing disease. But you tell me, what is a normal LDL cholesterol? 100, 50, 10? <laughs> we are moving the target all the time. So. Of course, of course. Same thing with blood pressure. What's a normal blood pressure? All right, so you're going to go with one millimeter being your cutoff generically. Generically speaking, if generically. you're looking at an adult individual, you know, above... When I say adult, by the way, I mean population above age 40, 45, because we really don't want to do cardiovascular risk assessment, or we haven't done cardiovascular risk assessment in 18-year-old individuals or 17-year-old menstruating young females, non-smoking with no risk factors. So we really don't know about that. You're talking about an older population. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. My guest today is Dr. Paolo Raji, professor of medicine, cardiology, and radiology at Emory University. And we're talking about atherosclerosis and surrogate markers and specifically now carotid IMT. Dr. Raji, the recent enhanced trial used IMT and looked at patients that were heterozygotes for familial hypercholesterolemia, and you would think that they would have thickened IMTs, but at the start, I think the average IMT was around 0.69, which is not very impressive. And so my question is, they wanted to see regression, and I think it's very hard to see regression when your IMT is normal to begin with. Absolutely. If I repeat a measurement, and I know that the measurement is highly reproducible, then I can count on a minute change as representing a real change. However, if the measurement is not as accurate, if I repeat it two, three, or four times, and now the change is minute, I have no idea whether that change is a real one or is just due to the measurement error. So that's one point. And the reproducibility of the measurement in IMT is better with thicker IMT to begin with. So in other words, it's easier to measure three times something that is 5 millimeter thick than something that is 0.5 millimeter thick. Obviously, the reproducibility is higher. So your comment is appropriate that they started with something very thin. So the reproducibility already, the reproducibility error may be greater. Then the next point is, and what is the progression regression of something so thin? It may not be as fast as we would have liked. Maybe the study was not long enough. Maybe it wasn't powered uh, appropriately. In other words, they didn't collect enough patients in each group 
to see a difference? I do not know. My summation of this study, which essentially showed no difference between two different treatments for lipid lowering, is that while these two lipid lowering drugs are equivalent, there is no damage due to one drug over the other, but that there is no additional benefit of the combination versus the single drug, essentially. There are all sort of statements that have come out out of the commentary that I've heard. One commentary that was particularly non-astute mentioned <laughs> that, to say the least, non-astute, mentioned that the progression of IMT was 50% greater with one treatment over the other. Evidently, the person who said that, unfortunately, a former president of the ACC, has no idea about statistics. So the reality is that these patients suffer the same kind of side effects, the same type of cardiovascular complications, the same number of cardiovascular complications, and they did not show a difference in progression or regression of the vessel wall or the carotid with one management versus the other. That's about it. That's all you can conclude. Whether that has an impact on outcome, we will see it in the future. In your experience, what is the correlation between what you see in the carotid artery and what you find in the coronary artery? How good a predictor is it? Or do you sometimes get surprised? So the question is very appropriate. Remember what I said earlier that the thickness of the carotid wall is a good indicator of how much atherosclerosis has developed in the body of that individual that we are looking at. I didn't make a strong point about the correlation between carotids, meaning neck vessels, mm-hmm. and coronaries, heart vessels. We do know for a fact that there is about a 50-60% correlation between having a thick carotid wall, meaning neck artery wall, and presence of blockage of the coronary arteries. Having said so, we are talking about thickness in one place, blockage in the other. We don't say thickness in one place and atherosclerosis in the other. So atherosclerosis, as we said earlier, could be both obstructive and non-obstructive. So let's assume that I have a patient with very high IMT. Assume, for example, two millimeters. That's pretty thick. Pretty thick. Yes. What is the probability that this patient may have a stroke, a heart attack, or need a bypass, or even die suddenly in the next five to ten years? It's very high. It's probably five, six, seven times that of an individual the same age, same sex, that has a thickness of 0.6 millimeters. So it is an indicator of risk. The one thing that we all should understand is that there is no one-in-one probability in life. You know, it's not because you have a two-millimeter thick vessel, you are definitely going to die of a stroke. Right. It's a probabilistic game. You know, it's like tossing in a couple of dying. Right, it's like being at Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, we do know that it's a risk marker. It's a marker of risk for the future. But it's difficult to say which individual exactly with two-millimeter of vessel wall thickness is going to have a heart attack. Although those individuals are at higher risk than those without two millimeter of thickness. I'd like to continue with this line of thought. If you have someone with diffuse coronary artery disease, would you expect, if you look at their carotids, to see the same disease process? Yes, 60% of the times. So you could see a clean carotid and think this patient has no atherosclerotic disease in their body. 
It's very difficult to see a clean carotid, meaning completely normal carotid, uh-huh. especially in somebody who has extensive coronary disease. But yes, we do see surprises. I'll give you an example, a very clear living example of a patient who recently I was asked to do an angiogram on for the heart, for the coronary arteries. And this patient had terrible peripheral vascular disease. We couldn't come through the neck, through the arms, through the legs. We couldn't come in into his body through any of the usual arterial highways that we use. So she had diffuse disease in every single peripheral vessel. When we finally got to the heart and we injected what we call dye or contrast, we couldn't see any obstruction in the coronary arteries. So there you go. You say, well, she has disease everywhere else. She must have disease in the heart. It doesn't necessarily have to be 100%. Dr. Paolo Raji, thank you very much for coming on Lipid Luminations. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.